Hello and welcome to Modern Homemakers. We are so happy you're here with us. I'm Leah Parker and I'm here with Donna Otto, author of seven books. And today we're, she's going to be teaching us from Friends of the Heart for our last two um, episodes of the season, for the summer season. And we're coming, I don't want to say to an end, that seems... Close. We're coming to a close. Holiday. I like that, a holiday. <laughs> so we won't be going quiet, but it will be a little bit of a different format moving us through the summer. Yeah, we need to talk about that maybe this time or next time, or what that's going to look like and what's available. Well, Friends of Heart, that was a, that was a title that a friend and I talked about. And her name is Emily Barnes. She's been in heaven with Jesus for eight or nine years now, maybe longer than that, time flies. Um, And we were friends of the heart. We had so many differences that it was amazing, and yet we had so many things that were like. And for me, the journey of friendship has been irregular. I wanted friends. And I wanted to be a friend, but I wasn't such a good friendship. Uh, uh, what's the word? I didn't have the friendship qualities. That's what I didn't have. And so the Lord has really used friends, the topic of friendships, the writing of this book, the speaking on this subject to really cultivate something in me that I'm grateful for. I love these funny cards that people get usually at the... Uh, what do they tell in the car wash? They say they go to the car wash to find cards. So this one is silly, and the front of it says, Without friends, the world would be a cold, lonely, void of any real understanding or warmth. We'd be adrift, aimless, and utterly alone. And then the inside of the card says, In other words, we'd be stuck with only men to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I read that to my husband. He said, I don't know what's so funny about that. And then he said, no, no, I do know what's so funny about that. So I I want today to do a couple of things. I want to use this subject of friends of the heart. I want to talk about the kinds of friendships that I would encourage you to build. And then I want to provide for you as a resource some scriptures and quotes that we'll put up on um, our website as a resource to this lesson. Uh, Three or four passages and four or five quotes. It's called Friendship Scriptures and Quotes. So Friends of the Heart, that sort of closes in on things, doesn't it? It changes perhaps what you think about friendship. But Ecclesiastes tells us that a faithful friend is a strong defense, and she that hath found such has found a treasure. A faithful friend is a strong defense. I, I, that picture comes so rushing over me in so many places where a faithful friend has been a strong defense. And sometimes we don't want a defense, do we? We want to do it our own way. Mm-hmm. And don't stop me now, even though you have a better idea than I do. So choosing friends is a concept few of us think about. I think most of us uh, think choosing our closest and dearest friends is essential to our growth and accelerated uh, spiritual empowerment. But the fact is that we do make these choices. Elizabeth Elliot said something over and over while she was here on earth, and that was that the fact that I'm a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. 
But the fact that I'm a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. And I believe that. I believe in the truth of that. And I think that it, when it comes to friendships and relationship, because I'm a Christian, I'm a different kind of woman. And, and that starts at the top there. And I want to say that my best and closest and dearest friends need to see Jesus, need to see the Trinity, need to see the work of the church as I do not an entity to itself or a Sunday morning activity, but a way of life, that they are the church and I am the church. So because I am that woman, what I look at in friendships may be different than what you may have looked at, how you started friendships in the third grade and the 12th grade and college level, and then you got married and you had couple friends. Today I'm talking about the kind of friendships that you build that you choose, that you are careful with. So the three points are choose carefully, choose carefully, make a commitment, and consistently care. Now, if you're going to be a good friend, and if you want to have a good friend, you have to do these things. Now, doesn't that sound like I'm choosing someone over someone else? It does. It's exactly what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing it carefully. Uh, choose carefully. There's an old uh, Donna Ottoism, you are who you hang out with. You are who you hang out with. Did your mom tell you that? Did she say, I didn't like that little girlfriend? I don't like, not, you, you are who you hang out with. What does that really mean? Well, in early places in life, you know, we don't have an agenda. We don't have uh, our, our what, what's, what's the thing you write up in your course of life? Um uh, Mission statement? Mission statement. You don't have a mission statement when you're 12. And you meet the little girl down the street, and her life is very different than yours. And suddenly you start hanging out. Well, yeah, you may influence her, but she may influence you too. So you are who you hang out with is a recognition. Just put it in. Recognize what it's going to see. I can look back through my entire life, and I can tell you I have grown, been stretched, or hurt by the people I have hung out with. My own friendships hurt, hurts were often caused by my very own choices. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good morals and that a faithful friend is a strong defense. So God's word gives us the ammunition to say, you are who you hang out with. In the first 30 years of my life, I moved 28 times. Um, I, I'm not an easy friend. I, I know that. And those of you who know me and love me, you don't have to be nice to me. You know it's actually true. I have high energy levels. I'm very intense. I'm really a nerd. Sometimes I look like a closet nerd because I look like maybe I'm cool. Maybe I dress all right. But I'm a nerd. And, and then people find out I'm a nerd and they go, oh, she's a nerd. This is the kind of stuff when you're talking about investing into the life of someone who could potentially be a lifelong friend. One of my dearest friend's mothers uh, fell in love with me when she and I became friends. One of the greatest gifts of my life. Uh, her mother would call me up and take me out to lunch and her mother would ask me questions. And, and one day she patted me and she said, I'm so glad you're my daughter's friend. You two are gonna be friends forever. Now, she has long left this earth, she and her husband, and my friend and I are still 
deep bosom friends. But one day she took me out and she said, um, I have a purpose about today. And I said, well, she usually did. But I said, well, well what is it? She said, I'm going to teach you how to do small talk. Mm. And I said, small talk? She said, you have no small talk skills. You, you, you don't even know what small talk is, do you? I said, well, you mean that stuff that doesn't matter talk? Ah, she said, small talk is the beginning. Small talk is where we get, begin with people and find out about their activities, where we don't hide, where we connect, where we have coffee, where we send a note, where we talk on the phone. You know that old song, getting to know you, getting to know what, who you are, getting to know you, getting to like you? What are your beliefs? What are, what are the things this person you're engaged with? Getting to know you and engaging in small talk. Small talk is the wind, the weather, wardrobe, TV shows. It's not theology, Donna. It's not how you believe. It's not your testimony. It's not the best, densest book you've ever read and all the conspiracies around it. It's small talk, small talk. Vincent van Gogh did a painting of boats on the beach at Saint-Maurice, and he painted only there for one month. He watched with keen interest the fishing boats, the fishermen, and their relationships. And he titled one of the boats, Friends. Why call a boat a friend? What did Vincent van Gogh see? He described the work of the fishermen as a mutual support with singleness of purpose. Mutual support with singleness of purpose. The fishermen had different boats, they handled their nets differently. They started and stopped at different times. Yet at the end, they mutually supported one another. And I think our belief system is like that. We choose God's purposes in our own minds. It's not chemistry. It's not convenience. It's what we're making choices to do. And we decide who's going to be what and how we're going to be in relationships. Choices matter. And as you choose, don't confuse various kinds of friendships. Now, this is going to take a few minutes, but I hope you will make a, a, a note about the kind of relationships we have and what are friends and what are not friends. I think sometimes we get in a relationship with someone and think, oh, they're a friend. Not necessarily so. So I've divided them into formal friends and informal friends. So a formal friend might be a spiritual director or a discipleship relationship or a teacher or maybe an institutional person, a pastor, a professor, uh, someone who's putting information into you. And then there's mentors and coaches and eldering. These are formal friendships. And then there are informal friendships, wisdom friends, Spiritual friends who speak to issues, very specific issues. And most of us have some issues that we feel strongly about and we're happy to tell someone about, but we may not share the same issues. So informal friends can do that in and out, breathing in their own issues and their own concepts. Soulmates, deep friends, best friends, friends of the heart, occasional friends. I have what I call some occasional friends who are very deep. Uh, I could pick up the phone, having not talked to them for five or six months, and start at the deepest point of a relationship because they live someplace else now. 
we developed a friendship, we moved away from one another. And that occasional friend is like an anchor when I need it, when I want it, when she needs it, when she wants it, and we come back together. So choose carefully. Choose carefully. Don't give your best parts to someone you have not chosen carefully. I could now begin a litany of stories that would match and mirror many of your stories of wounds from a friend, disenchantments, uh, gossip spoken, uh, things that were wounding, sometimes wounding that takes ever, forever to get rid of. Sometimes it's wounding that just reminds us to be careful, but choose carefully. And then once you do choose, make a commitment. Make a commitment. So there's some thoughts about what it is you're making a commitment to. And again, I want to be very um, serious-minded about this notion of friendships. There's intimacy. There's acceptance. There's humor. There's a willingness to sacrifice. There's perseverance. And there's certainly forgiveness. So what is intimacy? It's marked by a close acquaintance or familiarity. It's usually characterized by some privacies or informalities, privateness, a confidant. It usually involves time and energy. It's always about giving without expecting to get. There's none of this, what's in this for me? You're in it because you have an intimacy with this person, and she's in it for the same reasons. So it's not a tit-for-tat in any way. It's, it's honest, and it's authentic. It's a place where you are really yourself. You're not afraid to say whatever, knowing that will be received in the intimacy of the heart of that person. <clears throat> Secondly, there's acceptance. And this word maybe should be first, but I don't believe until we get to the place that we are fully accepting of ourselves, and I use the word fully, adjective there, that says that I, generally speaking, I accept who I am. I'm not going to always be this way. I'm always growing and changing, but I accept myself, and I know I'm not like anyone else, and if we're going to be friends, I'm going to accept myself as I am, which will help me accept you as you are. And you know, I don't want you to be like me. I've had many women who've come into my life wanting to learn from me or grow from me, and I'm grateful for that. That's a different kind of relationship. But I don't need an intimate friend who wants to be like me. I have enough of me. I want to be with people where there's freedom and they have deep relationships with God. They pray differently, they read differently, they talk differently, they live lives differently, and we enhance one another. And the intimacy of that <clears throat> brings us to the closeness in relationship. I also really need someone in my life that I'm intimate with who lightens me up. You know, there's, they've got to have some humor. They've got to laugh about themselves and cut me some slack and help me cut slack for myself. I take myself too seriously. I'm too serious, period. I will never, never forget the first time my husband said, you're so serious. Well, I want you to know that until he said that, I always thought of myself as rather 
chitty chatty Kathy and not very serious at all. I did not see myself for who I really was. And he laughed out loud. He said, you, well, are you kidding? You're the most serious person. You move to serious faster than people can say hello. Now, that was interesting because I laughed a lot. I giggled a lot. I made fun memories. I, I, there was a lot of merriment and humor in my relationships. But at my heart, give me serious. Let me talk serious. And David was helping me to understand that that humor side of me needs to be engaged in my intimate relationships. Uh, the fourth thing is that I need to be sacrificial. Uh, I need to recognize in my deepest friendships that I am willing to lose a little sleep, to listen to her say the same thing again and again and again. And when I was young, I remember thinking I need to be willing to pay the long-distance telephone bill. I remember thinking that. That was, that was a part of my young friendship. And am I willing to pay the phone call that it's going to cost? We don't have to think about that now, do we? Not at all. We can talk to anybody all the time. But am I willing to make a sacrifice of time and energy and money and what's necessary in that relationship? And then persevere. Am I willing to persevere? There will be bumps. There will be drama. There will be tears and gnashing of teeth. There will be words spoken that we don't like. We will each be out of control at some point. I'll never forget one of my dearest friends who's now in heaven. I said to her something about, well, will you go to the mat with me? And she just died laughing. She just went, go to the mat with you? What am I, a wrestler? And we laughed so hard. But she that was how I felt because I had had so many relationships that they cut bait and ran. And that was partly due to who I was, that I wanted to know if this was a person who was willing to go to the mat, willing to come back, to persevere, to endure. And lastly, lastly, and maybe it should be firstly, but I don't think we're willing to do it unless it's last until we have these other ingredients in place. And that is forgiveness. The very nature of any intimate friendship marriage, parental and children, friendships, staff, any intimate friendships, there has to be a root of forgiveness. Because I will need forgiving, you will need forgiving, I will need to be forgiven, and I will need to extend forgiveness. I will need to respond with grace and generosity to make up the pieces where you are short, and they will need to make up where the pieces that I am short. In a, a, a lesson that we've taught through the years about Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel, uh, one of the amazing parts of her life is that she sees so clearly God's plan for friendships. She she, this is an amazing story that we, she needed to be understood. Her husband, Eli, says to her, am I not better than 10 sons? No, honey. No, honey, you're not better than 10 sons. You're not better than one good friend. You, you don't get me. But women who speak the same language, 
who finish each other's sentences, who can talk at the same time and still hear each other. And it's not rudeness or needing to finish their sentence. It's because there's an understanding, there's a depth, there's a nodding, there's a finishing, there's a remembering of talking about that story before. I think God knew that men were always going to have this difficulty. That's why he said in the New Testament, he challenges men to learn to live with their wives in an understanding way. Can they ever understand us? No. They can, no. I, have the, I know I have the greatest husband in the whole wide world. Does he still not understand me? Yes, he does not understand me. He looks at me sometimes like I'm a foreigner, like I am a foreigner. And John W. Peterson, who was an amazing composer and author, and a lot of you have probably sung his songs and don't even know it, but he wrote a song that was called No One Understands Like Jesus. And that's the gospel. No one understands like Jesus. And the gospel of Mark describes for those of us who have had poor generational relationships with family, mothers and fathers and grandparents and aunts and uncles. He says, we are the family of God. Who is the family of God? Those who do the will of God are your family. So can you have a family member who's not a biological member of your family and be your family member? Absolutely. I pray you have one or more of them because that person is the person who recognizes that obedience to God and care for one another is deeper than blood. The sweet, sweet novels of Anne of Green Grables. And she says, I've dreamed of meeting her all my life, a bosom friend, an intimate friend, you know, a really kindred spirit to whom I can confide my inmost soul. Well, my dearest friends know my inmost soul, and they're not disgusted with me. They're not tired of me talking about it. They're not tired of me um, stretching myself to grow and still not growing as much as I'd like to because they are my intimate friends, because they have loved me as I have loved them. There's a great passage in... the book of 2 Timothy, and I just encourage you to read it. I'm not going to take time to go through it today. It's 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and it's the verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. And he describes uh, the people who came to help him. Uh, Paul is in jail, and he, he can't do for Timothy what he wants to do. And so Timothy is in Ephesus, and he writes this letter to him, and he says, when you are with a friend who's refreshed you or stimulated you or encouraged you or loved you, you'll feel better. And he describes these men who came to look for him. And it says, they searched diligently, fervently, zealously, and enthusiastically until they found me. Did you hear that? How many adjectives? Until they found me. Have you ever thought eight phone numbers is too many phone numbers? You know, there's the cell number and then the other cell phone number and then there's the office number and then there's the home number and then there was a car number and then there was an email and there were six more emails. Like That's too many. 
Now, we're, we're doing better in our culture. We're narrowing it down. But the truth is, we need to be willing to dial all eight numbers in a relationship that will matter for life. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I, I um, had a discussion with a friend who had been an acquaintance-type friend. And actually, we were getting to the place where our lives were causing us to be separated and not see each other so often. And I thought, my real remark was, I, I don't think I want to hang out with people who don't respond. I thought that sounded very selfish. But I, I thought about it, and I thought, what I really mean is that I want to co-labor in friendship with women who will search for me as I will search for them. And nothing will stop me from that, no matter how badly something goes or how long they've forgotten or, or all the things that might be an insult to me. It's all right because I'm going to continue to search for them. Eight phone numbers or more. Eight phone numbers or more. And lastly, I want you to consistently care. Consistently care. Choose carefully. Make a commitment. And then once you've done that, be consistent in your care. Everybody cares differently. Maybe you don't like to make a phone call. Maybe you do like to make a phone call. Maybe you won't write a note. Maybe you will write a note. Maybe you want to visit for 30 minutes and not two hours. Maybe once a week is enough. It, 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 whatever that is, whatever that consistent care is, Hebrews says, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, lest any of you by heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does that really mean? Well, it means that it's very easy to stop encouraging. I'm done. Have you ever said that about someone? I'm done. Oh my gosh. I can still remember walking in the house one day and said, I took David, I said, I'm done with her. He, he raised his eyebrows and I looked back. I had to apologize. I'm not done with her. I was so angry. I was so disappointed. I was so annoyed. And when I come down to those situations, what always happens is I'm not caring for her. I'm caring for myself. So the consistently care for found. her is what, I, what I'm talking about, not that I'm looking for someone to take care of me. So my goal in life is to finish well, finish well. I started out with finish strong, and then I realized that strength was not the word, well is the word. And caring in terms of choosing and making a commitment to people is not easy. That's why choosing carefully is important. Happiness is shared. Holiness is shared. Hurts are shared. Jesus never even suggests that pain will be banished from the world. With customary realism, Jesus looks pain straight in the eye. He never loses courage. He never grows tired or disappointed. The sympathetic, all-comprehending heart of Jesus Christ is stronger than the pain. Letting people care and offer consistent care for you is a very important part of the relationship of friendship. So I end this time by saying to you, little things mean a lot. 
state the obvious to your deepest, bestest, closest. I believe in best friends. I believe there are people who are best, who are closest. And I think it's all right to say, this is my close friend, this is my dearest friend, this is my best friend. You can't have all best friends. And it's a place of honor that you are giving and you're receiving. Choices matter. And in friendship, choice is essential. Do not let friendships move into your lives. Take over your time, your energy, your thought patterns, your love, your prayer. That are not friendships that you desire deeply and desire to make a commitment to and live with for the days of your life. Caring is important. Jesus says in John 15 that the greatest friend of all is he himself. Jesus is our greatest friend who will never leave us or forsake us, who is with us 24-7. But he has ordered in this world the desire to be in relationship with others. The great commandment of God is to love God and to love others. And as you learn to love others and be willing to open the doors to the kind of friendships, the deepest, closest, closest, best friendships, your life will grow exponentially. Your heart will soar and you will have much more to give away. Remember, you are who you hang out with. Thank you, Donna. Always a good reminder of taking care of friendships well and how that might look different from all of us, for all of us for our different seasons of our life. So remember, we're homemakers by choice with the common begin and the uncommon finish. So go out and make today uncommon by realizing how precious your friendships are and take care of them well. <laughs>